Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Yeah, all right. Hey. Yeah, welcome to Pop God. I want to welcome you to our summer music series. What we do is uh, each summer we have been taking some of today's most popular songs and looking at the questions that they're asking about faith and spirituality and our culture and then connecting them to scripture. So today um, we're going to look at an Old Testament prophet. In fact, we do this every summer. We change it up. We've looked at uh, Malachi, Hosea, Haggai. Today we're going to look at Habakkuk. But today we thought we would start off, kick off with uh, Miss T. Swift herself. Any Taylor Swift fans in the house? A little bad blood action. Very excited. Uh, who does not like Taylor Swift? Who does not like Taylor Swift? Haters gonna hate. I don't know what to tell you, man. Haters gonna hate. We wanted to start off with bad blood. This is um, actually, if you have been following it along on the radio at all, you know that her big kind of hits, you know, Shake It Off, uh, Blank Space, Bad Blood is the current one right now off of her album, 1989. She's kind of made an amazing crossover from country phenom to global pop superstar. She kicked off her world tour in uh, Japan uh, in May and uh, performing for 55,000 people at the Tokyo Dome. And so she's coming to New Jersey in, in, in a couple months. And uh, we thought we'd kick off with Bad Blood because that really is the main theme of that book of the Bible known as Habakkuk. It's a short book in the Old Testament, and it's about the bad blood that developed between the Israelites and the Babylonians. Now, in Taylor Swift's song, she kind of sings about the bad blood between her and this unnamed enemy, which is rumored to be Katy Perry, okay, another, another pop star. And she sings this. She says, uh, now we got problems, and I don't think we can solve them. You made a really deep cut, and baby, now we got bad blood. Did you have to do this? I was thinking you could be trusted. Did you have to ruin what was shiny? Now it's all rusted. You see what she did there? It rhymes. Trusted, rusted. Okay. Um, did you have to hit me where I'm weak and rub it in so deep, salt in the wound like you're laughing right at me? So it's a song about betrayal, right? It's a song about a falling out of a relationship. Uh, you know, once we had something good, but now we've got bad blood. All we have between us now are problems. I don't think we can solve them. And here's, here's, a, here's a lyric that I really like. I think that's kind of creative. She, she sings, um, Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. In other words, some wounds in life are serious, and it actually takes more than a simple, I'm sorry, to fix them. And that is true. If you have ever been uh, hurt, or you just spend time looking at the injustice in the world around us. That's what happened to Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet uh, to Israel in the year 600 B.C., and he basically looked at the culture around him, and he saw all this violence, all this immorality, all this corruption, and it broke his heart. And Habakkuk had a very tough question for God. He was like, if I serve a good God, why is there so much bad blood in the world? Why so much hatred? Why so much injustice? Why, why do the wicked always seem to be winning? Where's God when life seems unfair? That's Habakkuk's basic complaint to God in chapter 1. And you know what? These are timeless questions, right? They're as relevant in 2015 as they were in 600 BC. And uh, if you ever watch the news, sometimes I'll watch the news like before going to bed, and it's like so depressing, you know? Have you ever done that? Like you watch the news and you're like, just turn it off. All of the evil and the depravity and immorality in our culture, if you've ever felt like depressed by that or wondered, why does God allow that? Habakkuk is for you. 
Habakkuk asks tough questions of God, and God's answers are recorded in this short book we're about to read. Now, here's the deal. There are only three chapters to it. You can actually read the entire book in about 30 minutes, but we're going to look at the first chapter this week to answer this question Habakkuk says, which is, where's God when life seems unfair? So you can turn there, page 652 in the Bible that we gave you, or you could flip there in your phone or uh, just even follow along in the notes there. But basically, Habakkuk was looking at the front page news of his day, and it made him shake his head. Because he's like, there's so much bad blood in the world around me. And Israel as a nation compared to America, but Israel was in a downward spiral. It was a moment in their history when things seemed to be getting worse, not better in the culture. Does that sound familiar? So Habakkuk opens by posing this question to God in chapter 1. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not what? You don't listen. Or I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at, what's the word here? Injustice. Why do you tolerate what? Wrong. See, at this moment in history, Israel is fading from its glory days, and Babylon is becoming the dominant world power, okay? And this is important. There was bad blood between God's people and the Babylonians. It is no exaggeration to say that Babylon was the ISIS of their time. They were a ruthless military machine. They had no regard for human life. They actually invaded and raided towns throughout the Persian Gulf. They conquered villages. They took cities. They would torture and enslave prisoners. They would steal homes and rape women. That's why Habakkuk was crying out to God. Violence, he says, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why, God, do you tolerate wrong? I mean, have you ever felt that way about our world <laughs> or our culture? When you watch the news and you see, you know, the, the riots that we just, you know, had in Baltimore, where there's this hostility right now between the public and law enforcement. There's this, been this breakdown in the social fabric of our country. There is a growing gap between the rich and the poor. We're trying to pull out here in America this kind of global recession. But in a recent AP poll revealed that ours is the first generation in the last hundred years that does not expect to have a higher standard of living than their parents. For the last hundred years, we assumed to have a better standard of living, but this generation doesn't believe that any longer. There is an open celebration of sin in our culture, right? Not just a toleration of immorality, but kind of we celebrate it publicly. Sexual perversion, pride, greed. There's this culture of ego and celebrity that basically says, let's do everything without any shame or embarrassment under the banner of freedom and choice. And then there are all these kind of huge global problems like terrorism, war in the Middle East. I mean, when it comes to the current situation in the Middle East, Israel, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, you get the sense that there was bad blood thousands of years ago, there still is bad blood today, and there still will be a thousand years from now. These are huge, epic problems. And as Taylor Swift says, Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. See, when you wake up to real life in our world, you become aware of the rampant injustice in the violence and the corruption and our question becomes Habakkuk's questions. God, why? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is, what's the word? He says, what? Paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is what? It is perverted. It's upside down. That's Habakkuk's complaint. He's like, there's so much bad blood in my world and everything seems twisted. 
People break the law and they get away with it. Uh, Those who do bad, they seem to receive good. And those who try to do good, they get smacked down. And I don't understand it. Why, God? Where are you, God, when life seems unfair? Now, for some of us, let's be honest, that question has very personal application. You may be here today and you're like, you know, God, why is it that I work so hard and I live ethically according to your laws? And then, you know, the jerk at work (laughs) who's always kissing up and he's being unethical or he's cooking the books, he or she gets promoted. Why is that? Why is it that the guy who spends his life, you know, sleeping around and using drugs, he lives to be 95, like Keith Richards, right? (laughs) But, But then the young Christian father who's devoted to his wife and his kids, he gets cancer at the age 30. What's up with that, God? Where's where's God when life seems unfair? It is a very natural question to ask when something painful happens to us. Maybe you've you've asked God those questions. God, why did you let my marriage end in divorce? God, why did you let my loved ones suffer through that disease when I believed you could heal them? God, why was my child born with a disability? God, why am I drowning in debt? Maybe you lost your job or your investments, and you've tried to be faithful and generous with your money. You've always helped other people, and then you look at your neighbor who's like never given a dime to help another person. Everything he touches seems to turn to gold. God, why? Maybe it's not physical or financial. It could be relational. You may be here today, and you're single, and you're desperately, you you would love to be married, and you've been trusting God to provide a mate, but he hasn't yet. And yet you look at your friend who's like living completely counter to God's laws, and you know what? It's like they got their pick of the field. They have no trouble, it seems, with relationships. God, where are you when life seems unfair? That's the question of Habakkuk. And you ever spend time following Jesus, you're going to wonder that. You're going to say, Jesus promises life to the full, abundant life. Well, then how come it doesn't always feel that way? You know, some prophets in the Old Testament, their job was to bring the word of God to the people. But Habakkuk was the reverse. Habakkuk brought the people's questions to God. And understand, Habakkuk loved God. In fact, he had a very rich, very vibrant and deep faith. But like many Christians, Habakkuk crashed head on into a wall at some point in his spiritual journey. When the things that he saw happening around him didn't line up with the things that he previously believed, it started a very difficult season of wrestling with God. In fact, check this out. Habakkuk's name actually means to embrace or to wrestle. My son wrestles. What do you do when you start, when you start wrestling, right? The two guys, what do they do? They lock arms, and they lean in, and they grab on, and they try to, try to wrestle. And basically what we're going to see here is a man, a godly man, wrestle with God. And we're going to see Habakkuk struggle to embrace God, to actually deepen his faith during a crisis of belief in his life. And the answers that God gives him are not sitcom solutions. You know what I mean by that? You watch sitcoms growing up? Like, I, I watched the Brady Bunch. What was your sitcom? What did you guys watch? Full House. What is that? Growing Pains. Dude, I'm as old as you. I know what, I know what you're talking about, John. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, if you watch sitcoms, you know how they work, right? They present like a little problem in the beginning, but in 28 minutes, right, everything gets tied up with a nice little bow, cut to commercial, that's how life is. Not really, right? The reality is I think there are a lot of Christians who would like sitcom sermons. They, they, you know, give us a little bit of an issue, but then in 28 minutes, tell us a story that will make us laugh, and then tie it up in a little bow and go on your way. But you know what? You will not get that kind of message in Habakkuk. There are no easy answers here. As Taylor Swift says, band-aids don't fix bullet holes. In fact, things will get more difficult here as Habakkuk wrestles with what he sees 
And he takes his questions directly to God, and God actually responds. And I, I won't give it all away. But you know what God says? He basically says, you want answers, Habakkuk? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. And in verses 5 through 11, God says, yes, things are bad, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, a nation infinitely worse and more corrupt than Israel. And for your good, I'm going to allow the Babylonians to totally decimate your nation as a way to draw you back to me. And Habakkuk's like, that's your answer? (laughs) Everything's going bad in my world, and your answer is to let even worse people destroy us? God, I don't get that. That does not seem right. Why would you allow that? That, that, that? that shakes my faith. I struggle with what I see, and God, I struggle with what you allow. If you're taking notes, Habakkuk has three basic complaints for God here in chapter 1. And the first is he says, God, you don't seem to care, okay? You're letting all these things happen in my world that don't seem fair, and now I'm wondering, you know, do you really love me, right? You ever wonder that? Like, you know, like, God, could do something. does he love me? If you've ever spent any time asking God to, to respond to a crisis or change a situation in your life, and no response comes, it seems like your prayer is hitting off the ceiling. By default, we think maybe God doesn't care. His second complaint to God is, you don't help. <laughs> now, understand, there's a tone of respect in this. Because basically Habakkuk's saying, God, I know you are all-powerful. God, you are omnipotent. I know you could do something. In fact, I know if you just reach out your one little pinky finger, boom, you could change this whole situation. Then why don't you? If I were in your shoes, I would do this. And you're better than me. Why aren't you doing anything when you could with no little or no effort? Why don't you help, God? Why not? And then number three is he says, maybe you're not fair. In other words, what Habakkuk is saying is, God, if I were in your shoes, I would just run life totally different. (laughs) I would never allow this kind of stuff to happen. In our context, Habakkuk might be saying, God, I don't get it. There was that drunk driver who was on his fourth DUI, and he crashes into a minivan and kills a mom and her kids, and then he walks away without a scratch. Why would you allow that? What, What do you have to say for that, God? Or what about the girl who, you know, she sleeps around, she hops from bed to bed to bed, and she gets pregnant over and over again, and then she aborts child after child after child. And God, we're a godly couple, and our dream is actually just to conceive, and we can't even get pregnant with one child. Why? Why, God? When will you do what's right? Where are you when life seems unfair? And so Habakkuk's basically saying, God, I'll be honest, if I were in your shoes, I would just do things totally different. Have any of you ever thought that? <laughs> All right, have you ever, how many of you have ever looked at a situation in your life or with somebody that you love and thought, man, if I was God, I would never let it happen that way. Let's just be honest. Raise your hand if you've ever actually thought that. You've ever actually thought that. Okay. I have a prophecy for you. You're going to get hemorrhoids on Monday. God's going to give, <laughs> you're going to get a flat tire. You know, I'm just, I'm just kidding, right? Right? Because we think like, is it even legal to ask that question? About half of you are like, wait, is this, I don't know if I should raise my hand here, Right? We wonder because it's like, you know, things are bad, but they're about to get worse. What what the heck? Most Christians believe that it's not okay to question God that way. It seems disrespectful. It makes us uncomfortable. And maybe if we acknowledge we have questions for God like this, he's going to either kind of smack us down for feeling that way or punish us because we lack faith. You know what? Habakkuk teaches us just the opposite is true. Habakkuk says not only is it okay to wrestle with God, or question God when life seems unfair, sometimes I'd argue, our questioning is the catalyst to the next level of faith and trust 
in our spiritual journey, in our walk with God. Let me show you something interesting that I think will help you kind of visualize this in a personal way. Uh, I'm indebted to Seth Godin for this. Seth, you guys know Seth Godin? He's like a, a business leader, blogger kind of guy, and he writes a lot of little short little books. I read one called The Dip. I remember showing this to you six years ago, and some of you still, you might remember this. The basic idea is he says, he says uh, in business, he goes, you know, all people, all businesses eventually go through a dip. And he's like, in other words, it's kind of like a roller coaster and all that. I think there's an application, I'm not talking about business, to the spiritual life, in our journey with Jesus, right? We call ourselves followers of Jesus. Now watch this. This is how it works for some of you, right? At one time, let's say here you're a non-Christian. You actually are a person who has no faith, uh, you know, before you came to know Christ, or you got to know God personally. You're here, you're like, all Christians are weird. They all, you know, it's just kind of a strange thing. But then, you know, the person at work started, you know, you, you listen to Star 99.1. And you're like, okay, the music's not bad. All right, I like that. But then you met a Christian at work, and you're like, oh, no, but then they weren't weird. You're like, actually, they're like an authentic person. They're like real life, and they became a friend to you. And then they gave you a book or something, and now you're like, man, that was actually, there was a lot in there. I don't know if I believe everything, but then, and then you watch, and then you watch, uh, you know, you see Joel Osteen on television, and, you know, <laughs> and so you're not back here. And <laughs> so I'm, just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just, that was bad. That's so bad. That's not even in my notes. That's awful. That's terrible. That's terrible. That's terrible. You, you listen to Joyce Meyer. Now you're going up. Now we're going up. And, and suddenly, and, then, and, and then, then someone invited you to church, and you came, like maybe it's to Liquid Church. You came on Easter, and you're like, oh, my gosh. This was like God was talking directly to me. We opened the Bible. I have this thing going on in my life, and like that was for me. Maybe this stuff is real. Maybe I'm starting to believe. They even said, I don't have to have all the answers. I could just become a follower of Jesus. And next thing you know, you're in the Atlantic Ocean, you know, and you're, get, you're getting baptized, and you're like, what is happening to me, you know? There are these guys in a wetsuit. Uh, yeah, this is my friend Safwat, by the way. He, he's been wheelchair-bound, but he was like, he was like Damn, I have to publicly proclaim that I believe in Jesus, that he is real. God is alive. He's my savior. And so he went into the waters of baptism, 48-degree water, by the way, in a wheelchair. Just incredible. He represents hundreds of people. Will we thank those people for your faith? That's an incredible thing you guys did. Praise God for you. Watch, watch. The reason you end up there is because, like, you drank the Kool-Aid, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it, that's a bad connotation. I'm going to call it, you, you drank the Jesus juice, okay? That's what I'm going to call it. You became you know, a follower of Jesus, because you had this mountaintop experience. You're like, God is real. Like, I was a doubter, but I, God has moved in my life. I've encountered him in a personal way. It's not religion. I talk to God. I pray, and he talks back. He actually answers my prayers. Let me show you what's about to happen, <laughs> because it happens in the journey of everybody who says, I'm going to follow Jesus. At some point, you will come to church on Sunday, and the message will not speak to you. Maybe it's Tim. Um, at some point, you'll be like, I like that song, but I don't know. I don't even feel like singing today. And then something will happen in your life. You'll, lose your, you'll pray for promotion, but instead you lose your job. Or somebody in your life will actually get sick, and you pray for healing because you know Jesus can heal them. But God, but God heals. And they not only don't get well, they get worse, and they die. And you begin having what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief, where what you see no longer corresponds to what you believed. And you conclude there's only two options. Either I can go back or I can give up. 
And that's what a lot of believers do. They start questioning their faith. Or they actually say, uh, I can't handle this. So they want to go back to the mountaintop experience. They want to go back here where it's like, it's everything is faith. Everything's a faith. You know, the person's getting worse and they're getting sick. And the doctor's saying he's going to die. He looks like he's going to die. He's going on the hospice. But I don't receive that. I reject that in Jesus' name. God's still going to work in and heal him. And they're living like in denial, right? Or like, I lost my job. I don't save anything. But I know God's going to provide. There's just going to be mail and the money. So I don't even have to look for a job. They live in denial, right? And, and it's authentic. It's not authentic. It's artificial, right? You've met fake Christians who live there, they're, they're in unreality. It's denial. Or they say, you know what? I wonder if any of this was true in the first place. I'm thinking of giving up my faith because I don't feel like going to church anymore. I'm going to stop praying because prayer doesn't seem to make any difference. They hit a crisis of belief where they think I'm going to go back or give up. And that's where a lot of you, a lot of us stall, okay? Right about now, some of you may be thinking of somebody uh, who's at this point. And maybe it's you. Maybe there was a dream that you had that got shattered or you lost someone or something you loved or your prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceiling. And so you're thinking about turning back because what you have entered here is a little something that I call the dip. The dip of doubt where what you see no longer corresponds to what you believed And now you're questioning if God can actually be trusted. This is the dip that every believer will go through at some point in your journey with Jesus. Could be a trial at work, could be a relationship, could be something. But we go into this dip, and and you can say, you know what, I'm going back, or I'm giving up, I'm not coming to church anymore, or I'm just stopping praying, or I'm not going to, you know, read books, whatever. Or you could take the road less traveled. The road less traveled where you say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust that you actually have me on a journey. And even if things don't automatically get better, I'm going to lean in, God. I'm going to lean in on you as I go into the dip, and I'm going to trust that you are good even when my eyes don't see it. I'm going to base my happiness, my joy on your character, not just the happenings around me, and something incredible happens. Even if things don't automatically change, your faith starts getting stronger. And eventually, over the course of time, not only do your circumstances change, but God takes you to a new level of trust and dependency in your relationship with him, a place of complete surrender that you could never get to unless you had gone through the dip of doubt. That's how faith grows for every single follower. See, here's the secret of this thing. What does this look like to you? If you've ever been to a theme park, have you ever been to an amusement park? What ride looks like this? Roller coasters, right? This past spring, my wife and I took our kids to, to uh, Disneyland, right? So we go on, uh, we went on Expedition Everest. Remember this, Chase, right? So we go on, here's Expedition Everest. You guys know it's this, it's this roller coaster in Epcot. And basically, you see, it's kind of like, here's Mount Everest. And hidden inside the mountain is this huge roller coaster with all these dips and everything. It's very scary. There's a monster on it and everything. And I'm like, guys, come on, we got to go on Everest. And my kids are like, I don't know, daddy, is it scary? And so I'm like, no, it's like a small world. Let's just do it, you know. (laughs) I'm like, just one ride for the adults, please, you know. And so, uh, you know, we hear people, ah, I'm like, listen to them laughing, you know, it's going to be great. And, uh, and so we get, you know, to the, psst, the thing pulls up, and they're like, I don't know, Daddy. I was like, you got, I'll sit between you. You sit on this side. You sit on this side. It's my son and daughter. And so we're sitting in there and everything. I'm like, go ahead. You know, just grab on. And so it's funny because then the, the car comes back from people who just went on it, and they're just like, oh. And they're like, Daddy, they look. But then the safety bar, tss. too late, kid. Oh, here we go. 
And they're so scared and everything. I'm like, look, 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 guys, listen, listen, listen. Just lean into daddy and listen, hold on. This is when I'm like, I'm like, sun's out, gun's out. Hold on, kiddo. And my daughter grabs one arm, the boy grabs the other. And I'm just like, hold on to daddy. And they're like, no, no, no. And they're leaning towards me. I said, now listen, when we go in there, it's going to feel funny in your tummy. But when we hit the dip, I want you to lean in, actually, because this is going to be the thing that actually gets us through the dip and up to the other side. You're going to actually go all the way to the top of Everest, but the way we have to do is you're going to hold on to me, and then we're going to lean in, and we're going to get all the way to the top, and it's going to be a thrill. It's going to be an amazing thing, you know? That's how roller coasters work. That's just physics. But the same holds true for spiritual momentum. If you invite him... God will supernaturally use the dip of doubt to have a slingshot effect on your faith, taking you to a deeper, different, higher level of trust and dependency on him that you could never get to on your own if it was just up and to the right your whole life. God actually uses this to teach us that happiness is based on happenings, but joy is based on Jesus, on the character of Christ that is unchanging, that is unshakable. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so no matter what happens in life, God can be trusted to bring you through. I remember when I learned this the hard way, which was through real life. When my dad was diagnosed with cancer in his 50s, uh, things had gone very smoothly in our family's life up to that point. There were like no major traumas or disturbances. We were all drinking the Jesus juice, you know, woo, go to church, all that. And then, you know, one day my dad's rushed to the hospital. Wait, what happened? There was a blood clot. Like, oh, is there some issue with that? No, no, it was thrown off because he has cancer. What? Lymphoma, incurable. We were just, our faith was completely rocked. Our family was shocked at that moment. We had a crisis of belief. And I remember I had three complaints for God. I was like, God, it seems like you don't care. Because if you did, you'd seen the pain that my father is in and you would, you would heal him. And my mom is in pain as well. Why don't you help? It was very hard for me. I'm a pastor. It's very hard for me to read the Bible because I would read all these healing accounts and see what Jesus did. A woman just reaches out. He touch, she touches Jesus' hem, and she's healed. But why won't you heal my father? If you have the power to do that, God, why won't you? You don't seem fair because my dad is a godly man. He is an incredible father. He's a devoted husband. He loves you, and this is what he gets? Those are my honest questions for God. But watch. As God led my family through this dip, we did learn that my dad's cancer was incurable. And, you know, every week he'd be going for tests and scans. And if you just were like, okay, how's this all going to end? How's this all going to resolve? We were like getting rocked up and down because there's a million little dips in there. And we started realizing that, you know what? We just have to take this one day at a time, one scan at a time. And we began learning that we have to find a different source of happiness for everyday life. Because happiness depends on happenings, your circumstances, which are always up and down. But joy, actually, is elevating your eyes to look at Jesus, to look at the journey that Jesus actually had and say, I'm going to follow him there and I'm going to trust him in the dip. Because his character is the only unchanging thing in my world. And his love is the only thing that's unshakable. Intellectually, I knew that was true. But it wasn't until God took our family through this dip of doubt. We had this crisis of belief that we learn to trust our Heavenly Father in a brand new way. (laughs) To lean on Him little by little, one day at a time, through the tests and scans, we became more dependent. We came to rest in the realization that faith is not based on how's my earthly dad doing today, but how well do we hold on to my heavenly daddy in the dip and lean into him. And see, our faith went to a new level 
a higher level in our experience of God. Through that dark valley of cancer, it had this slingshot effect on our faith that looking back now, let me tell you, with my dad, you know, he survived cancer 15 years after his diagnosis. We realized we'd never have gotten there if we hadn't gone through this dip. It was the slingshot, the catapult, the catalyst that took us to a deeper level of dependency on our Heavenly Father. And friends, this is how your faith grows. This is how God matures you. The Bible describes it this way in the book of James. Look at this verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face, let's see this phrase together, ready? Trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Say that word one more time, perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, where does God want you to be? Where is he taking you in all this? What's the 30,000-foot view? He's taking you here to be more like Jesus. He wants to make you mature and complete, meaning trusting him completely and never sinning because you know that your father is good and he works all things together for good to those who love him. But how do you get here? <laughs> you know how you get here? Consider it pure joy. Jesus, Jesus, joy, my brothers. When you go through trials of many kinds, trials, what? Test, because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its deeper work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's how faith works. Some of you right now are in the dip. And if you're not, just give you a heads up, it's coming, <laughs> okay? And you're wondering if God can be trusted when everything around you seems on a downward spiral. Even if it's not a full-blown crisis, there might be something at your work or your family, something blew up in your face, and it's got you hurting and you're doubting, and you're wondering, do I go back? Do I give up? And yet behind the scenes, your Heavenly Father's working. He actually is sovereignly planning to use this crisis in your life to slingshot you to a deeper level of knowing him as your heavenly father who can be trusted in all things. If you lean in, hold daddy's arms. This is the message of chapter one of Habakkuk, wrestling with God, where we wrestle. And unfortunately, this is the point where the majority of Christians give up. This is where they walk away. But this can be a critical part of your spiritual growth by saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing or how this is going to turn out, but I trust you anyway with my questions. If you look at our text, God actually answers Habakkuk's questions in the dip. He speaks to him. He doesn't get the answers that he's looking for. In fact, just look at verse 5. God says to Habakkuk, okay, you got questions? Here's my answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly what? Amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. In other words, I'm going to do something. The word for amazed here in Hebrew is astonished, like stunned. In other words, he's like, I'm going to blow your mind, Habakkuk. Your faith is going to get rocked when I tell you what I'm about to do. Look at verse 6. I, God, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They're a law to themselves. They promote their own honor. So in other words, God's answer is, Habakkuk, you think this is bad? Check this out. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And sure enough, around 630 AD, 
Babylon became the dominant world power. They actually conquered Assyria. They invaded Egypt, and they were absolutely wicked. Very, very brutal, ruthless. They slaughtered and enslaved women and children. And, and if you look at verse 11, or 9 through 11, here's what it says. It says, they all came bent on violence. Their hordes advanced like a desert wind. They gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings. They scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own strength is their God. In other words, God says, Habakkuk, you think times are bad? I'm going to allow sovereignly the Babylonians to sweep in and decimate this nation. And things are going to get worse before they get better. And that sent Habakkuk staggering. He went into the dip. God, why would you let that happen? God, that is not right. That's not fair. But I want you to think about this. The fact that God actually allowed him to ask that question. Not only that, he said, I want you to write your questions down. So that 2,500 years later, there will be believers in New Jersey who are going to open it up and read your very questions and words and realize that only when they're in the dip do the deeper questions of their faith come to the surface. And consequently, it's going to drive them deeper to me for answers. This is a very liberating truth. If you are in the dip today, I pray this will set you free. Write it down. Habakkuk teaches us that a committed Christian can have both questions and faith simultaneously. You can actually have both. It is possible to have fears and doubts when you're entering the dip, not knowing where you're going to hit bottom, but instead of it being the thing that makes you give up or, or go back, if you lean into it, God will use it to slingshot your faith to another level, to take your trust in him to a very personal way. So in other words, God says, bring me your questions. And so that's my question for you right now. If you had one question for God today, what would it be? I want you to think about your life. In fact, like Habakkuk, I want to ask you to write it down right now. In your program today, we put a connection card. Look at this card. It looks like this. It's a response card. And you'll see on the back, there's no place for your name or email. It just says, complete your question to God. And it gives you two prompts. God, why? As Habakkuk asked. And God, when? Maybe there's something you're asking God is timing on. And maybe you're going to write down, click your pen. You can actually just write it down in a sentence or two. What is your one question for God? If God were here, he's like, I'm taking questions now. <laughs> this is your moment. Maybe like Habakkuk, you say, God, why are you letting such and such happen? God, why aren't you doing more about this situation? God, when will you do this? Okay, I want you to write this down. Notice there's no place for your name. This is completely anonymous, all right? We're going to collect these today, and we're going to actually have our spiritual care team pray for each thing. But don't look at what your neighbor's writing, okay? This is a private moment. This is anonymous. It can be raw. It could be honest. But this could be an important step for some of you today, actually having the faith that God can handle your big questions. And I want New Brunswick, Nutley, Mountainside, just write it down, a sentence or two on there, and we're going to collect these at the end of the message. See, Habakkuk invites us to bring our questions to God, but notice our, our fears are also mixed with faith too. In verse 12, he concludes this. He says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. In other words, this is a declaration of faith. He's like, this thing actually really hurts, but I also understand it's not going to kill me, okay? And I believe I'm going to get through it, not because of my strength, but because of your sovereignty, who I know you to be as my good and generous and loving Father in heaven. Look what he says. He says, oh, Lord, you have, what's the word? Appointed them to execute judgment. Oh, rock, you have ordained them to punish. Look at the language Habakkuk uses. He says, God, 
I believe this is actually part of your plan. I'm surprised, but you are sovereign. That means you're in control, not me. And even when I don't know what's happening, you do. You ordained every day and every detail of my life. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to wrestle with you and embrace you, even when I can't see the outcome. See, we're not as in control of life as we think we are. (laughs) But good news, God is. Your father is sovereign. He is in control. And what that means is, yes, he will use even this to make you mature and complete, not lacking anything, totally trusting and dependent on him. You see? Habakkuk tells us a committed Christian can have both questions and faith simultaneously and ask God why, God when, but you know what? It's not a sign that your faith is weak. It's a sign your faith is about to grow. This is the launching pad. You are about to learn something new about God's character and about how your father can be trusted through the divine appointments and ordained purposes that he has for your life. I'm going to repeat this because some of you need to hear this from God's word. The questions that you are wrestling with, that you're writing down today and saying, is this even fair to ask of God? That crisis, it's not evidence that your faith is falling apart. It's about that it's about to grow to a whole new level of trust and dependency. See, nobody likes chapter one of this book because it's wrestling. Chapter two that we'll look at next week is waiting. What do you do as you wait for God to respond? Some of us have been waiting months, weeks, years, and it seems like God is silent. What do you do with your wait? We're going to answer that question next week. But ultimately, understand, from wrestling to waiting, where Habakkuk is going to end, I'll just tell you the ending, he is going to end up worshiping God at a whole new level, learning to learning that his happiness is not dependent on happenings. But his joy must be rooted in something deeper, and that is the holy, sovereign, all-powerful God who knows in how to bring all things, yes, even this, together for good to those who love him. This is God's will for you. Some people say, Tim, how do I know God's will for me? Here it is, to be mature and complete, not lacking anything, so that you can fully surrender your life and worship and trust him in anything. And your faith will advance the next level if you trust him in the dip. If you're here today and you're in the dip right now, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because I know many of you are. What do you do? You're like, I can't wait for next week. (laughs) What do you do? What do I do today if I'm in the dip? Here's your answer. Ready? You, Habakkuk. Habakkuk means to, to wrestle, means to embrace. How does a wrestling match begin? You lean in and you lock arms and you wrestle back and forth with your heavenly father and say, Dad, I don't understand all this. I'm a little bit scared, but I'm going to lock arms. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to embrace you because I know that you have promised me no matter what happens, you will never let go of me. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. You gave your son for me. Why do you trust Habakkuk? Because 600 years later, God sent another prophet in the New Testament named Jesus who claimed not only to be God's son, but he trusted his father perfectly. And Jesus was 33 years old when he hit the dip. When he was accused, tortured, and crucified, executed unjustly on a Roman cross. That's when he hit his dip. And at that moment on Calvary, Jesus had a question for his father. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't see you anymore. But in his pain... And in his suffering, he still did not sin. 
He says, yet I trust you completely. And because of that, Jesus is our ultimate Habakkuk. You are his follower. Look at Jesus' journey. People are following Jesus. Jesus is amazing. Woo! Water and wine. Jesus, juice. Then they're waving palm branches. He's the Messiah. He's king of the world. And then literally days later, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And when Jesus went into that dip of doubt, he was crucified and he was dead as a doornail. Guess where his disciples were? Gone. They gave up. They went back to fishing. They said, see, God's not powerful enough to do that. And they had to wait. How long? Three days. Three days later, what were they doing? They were worshiping the risen Lord in a whole new way. There's something about resurrections that require crosses first. And God may be appointing some of you to carry a very heavy burden, but you understand because you're a follower of Jesus, this is your map. You're going to follow Jesus through this. God is going to lead you through this. Ultimately, you're going to come out the other side worshiping and look back on this three years from now and be like, I remember when God led me through because Jesus is my Habakkuk. (laughs) And understand Chapter 3 is what's waiting. But first, we have to wrestle. And you're going to have to wait one week (laughs) for chapter 2. I hope you'll come back for that. If you're in a dip today, let me encourage you not to go back or to give in. I want you to lean and I want you to wrestle because God's going to teach you to worship. Let's do this. All of our campuses, I want to pray for you before we hand in our prayer cards. So let's bow our heads together and then we'll hand in our questions for God. Father, you know right now, exactly what every person under the sound of my voice is going through. Father, we know that each struggle in the heart of every person here is precious to you. And so I pray for the men and women today who are going through a dip of doubt that God, as as you hold on to them, Father, would you give them new faith, new courage, and new strength to hold on to you. We thank you for sending Jesus to suffer in our place, that we might be forgiven and adopted as your children and follow him. Give us strength to carry our cross. You have promised never to leave us or forsake us. God, would you lead us to a high point of complete surrender and utter worship of you? God, even when we don't see immediate answers or we have life go the way we think it should, help us to trust you for who you are. God, I pray for those in the dip that someday soon you just turn that page, they'd be on the other side and look back and just see what a richer, deeper faith they have now that couldn't come any other way. And Lord, give us joy. Give us joy even as we respond with this last song. When we face trials like this, we know you're doing something significant that will bring glory to Jesus. Thank you for being sovereign. Thank you for being in control. And thank you for being loving to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.